Hello and welcome to A Your Right Pal by me, Roscoe Burns, a podcast dedicated to men chatting about their mental health. The podcast is a way for men to share, to discuss and be open about their mental health. Listeners are advised that some of the topics may be triggering with potential mentions of addiction, self-harm, abuse and suicide. With that being said, I feel these topics are important to talk about and to share. And I hope you enjoy this episode of Your Eight Pal. Hey everyone, I hope you all had a nice Christmas. This will be the last episode of 2022. Well, hey, well done to everyone who was struggling but managed to survive Christmas, and I hope everybody had an absolute fabulous Christmas. So, Today I'm joined by one of my rugby teammates. We probably got to know each other when I broke his nose playing <laughs> rugby. We were actually at training and we went in for the same tackle and yeah, unfortunately my head touched. Smashed. Smashed. <laughs> Alright Andy. Uh, smashed into his nose which caused him to break his nose. Um, and then that was when the death threat started and <laughs> he's healed now. He's looking as handsome as ever. Nose looks better than before. <laughs> Maybe. So yeah, all jokes aside, we've got to know each other. I think he's an amazing guy and I'm really glad he's a guest. One thing I do admire about you, Andy, is your confidence. I've never told you that, but I really do. And he's someone that I do definitely find approachable. And with that being said, let me introduce you to you, Andrew. How are we? I'm really good. Nice to, nice to be on the show, Roscoe. Yeah. Is that a good introduction? Yeah, I feel like that's that's great. Yeah, yeah better, feel... than, better than some of those other guests you had on. <laughs> I know. I've been getting death threats from them. And I'm like, hey, how come his was a bit more special? Uh, did you have a nice Christmas? I did, yeah. Uh-huh. I'm glad um, that we're now looking at the new year and yeah. getting past the festive period. But I've got like two weeks annual leave okay. and I'm enjoying it I'm, I'm I'm going to be talking about work a lot but yeah. you know despite enjoying work now I, I'm enjoying my break as well <laughs> so when do you go back? Uh, 9th of January oh so you yeah. got quite so, a while then yeah, t- yeah. T- two weeks off I've taken so oh, amazing I've only had long weekends throughout the year so Aye. this is my first kind of extended break and okay. it's great <laughs> Are you looking forward to getting back though? I am yeah yeah I, I'm enjoying work so I'm looking forward to get back it's probably going to be a bit slow in the beginning getting my brain around it all again yeah. but um, yeah no kind of hesitation or anything right. good so one thing I'm going to do is I'm just going to let you kind of start speaking and open the floor to you because mm. the subjects that you're talking about today um, I said to you before I think are really important you were sure. talking about some of them might not be specific to mental health but I definitely think they relate so that's yeah. why I think it's definitely important that you talk about them today yeah so, absolutely Without further ado, what was the first topic that you wanted to talk about? Um, so I think what I wanted to talk about quite generally was neurodivergence or neurodiversity and how my experience of that has mm-hmm. had, you know, positive and negative yeah. impacts, but obviously we're here to talk about mental health. Aye. So I um, I have dyspraxia, right? Mm-hmm. Now, I think they've actually changed the name, right, okay. to, to be more modern and more politically correct but it used to be called dyspraxia and you can still find information on it for that term yeah. but I think the, the NHS now calls it developmental coordination disorder okay. DCD DCD right? Right. Um, now what dyspraxia is I wouldn't blame you for not knowing yeah. because my GP didn't know yeah. um, in two different 
places I've lived, two different GPs, did not know what it was. Yeah. When I reached out asking for help because I felt it was impacting my mental health at yeah. the time, right? So if you don't know what it is, it's a type of neurodivergent condition. So in the same family as um, autism, ADHD, um, dyslexia, dyscalculia. It's in that same family of okay. conditions. And none of those conditions are mental illnesses no. or mental health conditions in themselves. No. But people who do have them are very likely to experience mental health issues because their brain basically works differently and the world around them is not built and designed for people no. whose brain works like that, yeah. right? There's also a lot of overlaps between one condition and the other and it can be quite difficult for people to get a diagnosis at all. And even if you get a diagnosis for one thing, you might show up very strong traits of some of those other things, but the doctor maybe doesn't tick that box in the assessment form. So in my experience, I do have the letter or the, the, the tick box against dyspraxia. But a lot of my symptoms, um, I don't even know if symptoms is the right word, to be honest. I'm, I'm, def- I'm not medically trained, but... Behaviours? Yeah, maybe maybe a lot of the kind of just the elements of the yes. condition um, and how it manifests in my brain and in my life. Um, there's a lot of overlap with uh, autism as mm-hmm. well. And I was queried for Asperger's syndrome okay. when I was diagnosed as a child. But I don't think, very long memory, I don't think I ever got the tick in the box yes. for that one. But I can see a lot of the overlap. So I prefer just to say neurodivergent yeah. because it, it's an umbrella and it covers a lot rather than me having to specify yeah. this, 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 this. But it's it doesn't bother me what no. people, people would use. And... Um, Turns out, having a, a disability affects your life in yeah. a lot of ways, Roscoe. Um, who would have thought that, right? <laughs> who would have thought it? But I think you're going to tell me, so... I am going to I'm not going to need to be sitting waiting, you know, anxiously. <laughs> yeah. You're not. So, I think, you know, calling a disability, first of all, is has not come easy no. to me. No, Um I think, for some reason in my mind, I had this idea that if you're a disabled person, the doctor will one day tell you, you have a disability. Let me tell you right now, that if if you're neurodivergent, presumably even if you lose a leg or something, Mm -hmm. nobody comes and and gives you your certificate and says you're disabled now, right? Disability is strangely, in some ways, Mm self-defined, right? And for a long time, I've rejected embracing mm-hmm. that term right um, because I felt a lot of shame mm-hmm. I felt a lot of misunderstanding Absolutely. you know um, whenever you apply for a job you yep. know they always ask do you consider yourself to be disabled and I would always think well no like I do have dyspraxia I've got this diagnosis I'm neurodivergent but that shouldn't stop me doing the no. job well I tick that box now yes. right and we're going to discuss that yep. over the course of the, of the the chat about why that is and my experiences and work and why I feel like more people should be advocating for themselves, demanding the help and the accommodation that they need to succeed. Because, you know, if you do not have that in place, you cannot be yourself. You cannot thrive. You're you're going to face barriers that your colleagues and your peers don't face without the support systems to get through them. So my, uh, I got diagnosed with dyspraxia when probably when I was nine or ten, oh. I, my parents got divorced around the age I was eight, and I developed a lot of kind of behavioural issues. Yeah. And 
just was it just was not a happy time for me. No. You know, um, I was quite aggressive. I was ex- emotionally exhausted a lot of the time, and I felt that like my life had kind of been shattered. You know, I'd really just didn't deal with it. And eventually, my mum was like, "Something, you know, this is no just a, a wee boy being upset, you know, because his parents have, have split. This is pre- proven to be more than that." Yes. So eventually through child psychological assessments and you know motor skills tests and all these kind of emotional awareness tests I, I, I'm not a psychologist I couldn't no. tell you all, all the things they do but through all that they then decided well yeah your, your son is neurodivergent and we think based on the symptoms we've identified it falls most into dyspraxia or DCD mm-hmm. right now that was because at the time there was a lot of physical symptoms. The main way they diagnosed dyspraxia is motor skills. Mm-hmm. Couldn't tie my laces, couldn't use a fork and knife, couldn't catch a ball, was tripping over my feet like all the time and those kind of things for a child the same age should be very achievable. Aye, right? aye. Um, but for some people's brains the the nervous systems the connections aren't the there. signals aye. no reaching the destination aye. right so you reach for a ball and it smacks you in the face aye. right and what that does is it destroys your confidence because you don't want to then play, play sport right yeah. you don't want to get involved with, yeah. with the people that are playing basketball or football or whatever it might be right I'd roll that because they're obviously playing rugby yeah, right? yeah. So you're going <laughs> but, to that um, it just goes to show you that for you can adapt you can learn yes. and obviously everybody's different but you know, there's challenges, but there's solutions a lot of the course. time. Of course, could these like almost uh, symptoms of this like catch not unable to catch the ball, mm. unable to tie your shoelaces? Like those can sometimes be identified as just being clumsy, and I think yeah, a, in a bad way because it can then be missed. Yeah, absolutely, and I think unfortunately, dyspraxia is actually a lot more common than people think, right? But it's extremely un- underdiagnosed, right? And that's because there is a lack of awareness, mm-hmm. right? Every everybody, well, maybe not everybody, but most people know what autism is. Mm-hmm. Most people know what dyslexia is, yep. right? But when I've spoke to my GP about dyspraxia, they've said, "Do you mean dyslexia?" So they got they weren't aware of. They what? didn't even know what it was, okay. and I and I've had to explain to them, you know, a medical professional, Aye. what it is and how it affects me. And, and that doesn't give you much confidence. It doesn't give me a lot of confidence, yeah. no, especially because you know you're reaching it because you obviously need help oh, at course. that time. Not, going to get not for a chat, no. you know, <laughs> not, to well, not to educate them. No, do you know what I mean? No, exactly. You're supposed to be offering support, uh-huh. and that lack of awareness has stopped me and stopped, I'm sure, many other many people, people with autism or dys- dyspraxia, dyslexia, whatever it might be. I think neurodivergence in general is under or is misunderstood, mm-hmm. right? And that's probably because everybody is so different that you know when you've got all these people that are different and their brains are not typical. At what point is it this is a condition and this is a person mm-hmm. who's just a bit quirky? Yeah, you know? and that's something that Harrison said, <laughs> yeah, 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 you know, yeah. about mental illness. And yeah. when he did the interview as yeah. well, you know, how much of it is you? And how much of it is this condition you've been given, right? And I think the GPs do struggle with that. But getting that diagnosis did help because the school that I was at was really supportive. And they then put me through additional kind of um, classes to like, it was like catching a beanbag, right? And doing it over and over and over to build up those motor skills, right? I got special insoles to help me walk better and not trip over and... 
just practice tying my shoes. They gave me a special fork and knife to practice yep. like better grip. I had to get those um, those weird pencils that some kids in your class probably had that were really chunky at the start and uh, had that curved right, and okay. to fit in the hand uh-huh. easier. I had stuff like that, and it was all to try and accommodate the physical aspects of, of the dyspraxia. Yeah. Now, I'm got to this point through living life and practicing that a lot of those things don't affect me in a severe way that they no. did when I was you know 10 years old um, some people now are, are not able to develop coping mechanisms yeah. for those kind of conditions but I've been able to do that and then I thought right, that's it disability cured you know yeah. I'm on the up and up I've dealt with a dyspraxia I ticked that off my yeah. last let's move on with life you know can tie my shoes now <laughs> Well, I was very wrong, okay. right? Because as I mentioned before, um, there's non-physical symptoms that overlap with autism and ADHD and things like that. And those are not as easy as, let's practice catching a ball. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah, yeah. So you, you leave primary school, you go to high school, there's still support there. You've got your guidance teacher. You've got it on your record that you have this condition. If you need assistance, all you have to do is wave your hand. It's and there. You can get it. I went to university and... You know, there was a point where I didn't look like I was going to be able to get there, but I got there and I did really well at university and uh, had a great time. And that was building up more independent skills. You know, you've got to manage your own work, get to your lectures and stuff. But it was very different from then stepping into the world of work, Uh, right? And I got a bit of a nasty surprise, to be honest, right? I graduated in the pandemic. It wasn't a good time for job hunting generally. And... My first job out of university was in Shetland, right? I moved from Aberdeen up to Shetland, a place I'd never been in my life, was very remote, and the whole country was still in lockdown, but at the end of the day, I needed a job because I was on universal credit, wasn't making getting enough money on that to to live, to really, afford, you know? Things, yeah, yeah to, to support myself. So, you know, it wasn't... It was a good job, right? Yeah. And, and it was I was thankful for it, but it did pose challenges you know and despite the work being you know interesting something was wrong okay you know I got more and more stressed and more and more anxious to the point where it felt like it was paralyzing me you know okay yeah where there was days where I just like I would sit and it would take me 10 minutes to open the email inbox you know because I was like I don't think it was depression right because I could get up I could live my life but just when it was like right I've got responsibilities and if I don't turn up I don't get paid and I can't pay my bills and the whole thing just felt like pressure, pressure, pressure and I was like why am I not able to do this you know I've done so well at uni I've got I've done that and some you know there was a time when that didn't even seem possible and I've smashed it why am I not able to smash this you know and I felt really like someone like defective like Uh there's a clear target and I I should be able to do it and I'm not able to and the people I was working with were really happy with my work and I didn't see it you know because I felt like I, everything was such a struggle, uh-huh. and they saw the fi- the finished result, yes. you know, which they didn't was, see the what come before it, yeah. and obviously the stress that you were going exactly. through. Exactly, yeah. you know, they they seen that the final product was good, good, yeah, but they didn't see that it was affecting me mentally, Aye. right? Aye. And you know, it got to the point where you know, I was speaking to my partner, and my partner was like, "I really think you should go to the doctor because 
you're you're making yourself miserable. You is know? your partner in Shetland with you? No. So, so was that another kind of contributing factor? Definitely, yeah. yeah. So I was up there. I knew I don't know anyone in Shetland, right? And you just you're living in Aberdeen, which is a relatively big city. Of right? course, I. And then you move to Shetland, which it's is an island. Twenty thousand people on the whole island, right? Mm-hmm. And you're living in a wee town, and I mean that alone would have been challenging of course I think that isolation in a way because it isn't you know connected you've kind of got to get what a a boat yeah 12 hours minimum yeah it's 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 very far away Mm. right so I felt like well that that was a challenge in itself a big move right away from people you know and and love and starting a new life somewhere different right it's the same country yeah yeah, it may as well have been Ah. France or Spain (laughs) or something you know what I mean it's that far um the second challenge, starting your first job after mm-hmm. university, right? You're doing something you've never done before, nine to five, mm-hmm. you know, five days a week. Yep. Sometimes more than that, right? Mm-hmm. Depends on what was required. You know, you've got, you're living in a, a house as an adult, not as a student for yeah, the first time. Yeah, yeah. You've got Good bills that you didn't have yep. before. There was a lot of change in a very short period of time and the pandemic was going on mm-hmm. in full force at the time. Mm-hmm. And I was saying to my, you know, I, I said to my partners like, "No, I'm, I'm not unwell. There's just a lot going on, yeah. right?" And my partner kind of insisted. He's like, "But there is a lot going on, However. but you're not really coping, Aye. right? And it doesn't really matter." Like, and I, I kind of resisted it. I was like, "Look, and the, when you weigh it up, this mm. is quite a reasonable response yeah. actually to feel stressed out." And you know, they'd said like, "Well, yeah, that's true." However that doesn't mean you should endure it kind of thing you know so after a lot of convincing I decided to reach out to the GP there was no physical appointment so I had to send in an email to explain what I was experiencing and I had these big changes and stuff and um, I was one of the things I was noticing was I was experiencing a lot of kind of fluctuating emotions right there's a history of bipolar in my family and I was immediately starting to worry yep yep of course is this potentially bipolar? Mm-hmm. You know, obviously that's a bit more serious than just being stressed at work, right? So the G- I mentioned this, and the first thing the GP did was you get an assessment for bipolar. Now, I don't think the I can't remember, but the, there wasn't much conversation with mm-hmm. the GP. The minute I kind of said that there's a family history of bipolar and I'm feeling really struggling, it was like right, let's go and check that out. And I was like, okay, so we did that. And this, I'd had a telephone appointment with a psychiatrist, right? And she was like, you don't have bipolar. What you've told me is not bipolar. It sounds like you're very stressed, mm-hmm. right? And, you know, work-related stress is very common. You've had a lot of big changes. Um, but, you know, you're clearly very resilient because you're still... <laughs> it's not stopping you living your life, but you're just... You're, you're just stressed, yeah. right? You're, yeah, exactly. And so... <laughs> They gave me an online stress reduction course, right, to deal with this. Oh, yeah. to day one of the course, and I immediately was like, this is not for me. Was that right? a stress? Well, it was like, you had to log in and like, it, I don't know if you've ever done like a language learning app or something <laughs> ah, like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. It was like that, right? Okay. But it was like an online diary and journal and you had to reflect on what caused your stress today. And I was I know what's causing the stress. Mm-hmm. Everything mm-hmm. is causing stress. The same things every day, like... You know, it's not just a wee flare up. Yeah, and yeah. I, I did feel like, you know, it's it's a cool resource that that's available that you can get this kind of remote help that's ongoing. But I didn't connect with it at all, and 
the next thing was the doctor offered me anti-anxiety medication and then I had spoken to my mum who's a nurse before speaking to the doctor and hearing about medication being offered and she had kind of said well remember you do have dyspraxia right and I was like right how do you mean you know that's how does that really that's been dealt with back in primary school she's like well you know it's not just about tying your shoelaces it's the emotional stuff as well you know and then I was like I'm going to do a bit of reading Mm -hmm. right so I read loads of stuff from charities from the NHS from to be honest nice but the main place I got resources was from forums, online forums of people that had dyspraxia or were autistic or ADHD and stuff. And I was like, they are yeah. experiencing and describing this in words that I didn't even have. Right? Well, it's first hand, isn't it? Because if first somebody hand. who's experiencing it can yeah. tell you exactly how they feel, exactly. that is just completely first hand. Yeah, exa- exactly. And then I was like, this is the problem, mm. you know? And I. I, d- I don't want to necessarily endorse right make up your own medical decisions des- decide for yourself what you've got because obviously we should be trusting doctors mm-hmm. and we should be having a good health service that works with us but sometimes I felt like it was working against me mm-hmm. um, and I had to really kind of do the research for myself and I was like no this isn't you know work related stress this isn't anxiety those are symptoms yeah, that have come from my kind of needs as a pers- a neurodivergent person as an adult as well and as an adult yeah who who's just struggling, struggling because you've had support for other things and you thought that was it dealt with and suddenly you're in the big bad world yeah. and you realise oh there's more to this yeah. than previously Aye. thought so fast forward a wee bit I wasn't in Shetland forever I was there for a few months and I got news that that employer was leaving the UK okay. and there was going to be a buyout process and I was like trust my luck to Aye. get my first job <laughs> up in Shetland and the company's pulling out right so I immediately was like right I'm going to find a reason to get back to mainland Scotland and I was able to do that me and partner moved to Glasgow and I was working in Edinburgh and the feelings reduced because I was with people friends and family right my partner and I was in Glasgow, so I was very well connected. And I started uh, playing with the rugby team, Glasgow Raptors. So I was building up that friendship network and the support system. But work was still an issue for aye, me. Aye, okay. I was still, you know, there were still days where it was like, Andrew, I need you to do this by so-and-so time. And I would sit there and panic would just sit in. And often I, I found that it was taking me a lot longer to do things that my colleagues were able to do much quicker. Mm-hmm. And I don't think it was technical ability or, or even experience because I've spoken, I've done peer-to-peer mentoring and people have said, well, you only be working a year, you can't be expected to be as good as them. But I've, I've sat and watched them and sat beside them and it's not technical skill. Mm-hmm. Something I've found, and I, I don't know if there's a, a medical technical word for it, but it's like, I need a mental warm-up, a boot-up time mm-hmm. to process a task. So, and this is something that when I was reading about what other people's experience was, they were saying, remember that people who don't have typical brains, right, it's not just the time and the emotional energy it takes to do it. It's the time it takes to process what is required, to think about how you're going to approach the task. And most people probably don't need to think about that, mm-hmm. right? If it's a task that they're familiar with, they just do it. Mm-hmm. But 
to a neurodivergent brain that takes more energy Aye. right um, it's there's a there's a dish, there's hidden invisible tasks that has to be processed that any barrier is just more energy more energy more energy so by the time I got to the actual task I'd worked myself up to do it I was knackered like Aye. sometimes you know like not like need a sleep but like brain was oh, no, like oh no it sounds knackering like even listening to you because emotionally it does take its toll on your body physically yeah it, it does physically you know and it's 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 not easy mm, no. definitely not and that wasn't something I'd ever been able to articulate mm-hmm. right because I think there's an, there is an attitude in the workplace it's like right you're hired to do a job mm-hmm. this is a task as part of that job go and get on with it you do that yeah and it's like right I can do that but you've asked me to do this 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 they've all got different deadlines and that is what I found out another symptom Mm -hmm. right time management and organisational skills your perception of time passing for some people with neurodivergent brains is completely different okay right particularly for people with ADHD right so trying to manage my calendar wasn't just managing my calendar it was more emotional energy and more brain power being like right I need to keep track of this I need yeah. to keep track of that and the weird thing is is that I'm a very organised person but it's it's actually to the point where I end up falling out with people mm-hmm. if they clash with my plans okay. right really struggle to adapt to change of circumstances right, okay. change of plans and I feel like that again is part of that neurodivergent brain where it's like you're programmed to kind of appreciate and want familiarity and when that changes, you're like, whoa, this is unfamiliar territory now. I need to get a scan of my Aye. surroundings and decide how to proceed. Again, it's more brain power, it's more energy. And all these things were like small barriers, but every day. And I just felt like I wasn't succeeding despite, again, the work looked good, but yeah. I didn't feel good about it. Aye. And at one point in, a, in another job, you know, I, I'd, I'd got to halfway through my probation period or something, I had a an appraisal with one of my managers and we sat down and I said, you know, I'm, I am liking the work, but I'm, I am finding it stressful. I'm finding that when deadlines chop and change, like I really struggle to just put something down and pick up something yeah. else because my brain's really invested in uh-huh. that task. I was going, I was building up to tell them, like almost come out and uh-huh. say, well, I've, I'm actually neurodivergent. Like this is something I'm going to struggle with long term uh-huh. you're going to have to deal with it kind of thing you know because it is a disability you don't have they can't legally discriminate against no. you if you've told them about it but you have to tell them yeah. right and before I could say I've got dyspraxia I'm neurodivergent my brain works a bit differently I actually got interrupted and I was told well that's the nature of the job we need to be adaptable we need to be flexible and my heart absolutely sank. Yeah. To that person's credit and, and you know, respect to them, they, they couldn't know, no. right? But that was the moment I was yeah. going to tell them and I felt like it took so much courage to build up to that point. I instantly felt like I'd shattered, you know? Like set back, I mean, like yeah. kind of one step forward, two steps back. Absolutely, because I'd, I'd been doing my research, I was fight, I'd be taking notes and everything on how am I going to articulate this, how am I going to explain to my employer that, you know, I'm not, I'm not lazy or I'm not rubbish at my job, I'm just it stresses me out because my brain works differently and they've never heard of it before and they're going to think he's pulling this out of his arse you know what I mean like and I've done all that kind of work in my brain to not even get to see my bit and after I'd been interrupted I just was like I'm not going to say it now you know and um, I didn't stay in that job 
you know, th- there was a there was a lot of good about it, but it, I think we, we both felt it maybe wasn't the right fit. In another job, I'd um, I'd sp- well, I'd spoken back to a manager. Now I didn't feel at the time clearly incorrectly assessed it, and this is again social skills and I can often people have often said to me you're very direct and sometimes that directness can be rude to people and I really don't mean it you know um, but that is again neurodivergent brain people with autism that's a well known you know characteristic I suppose yeah. but that definitely does affect my brain as well and I think I'd maybe gone a wee bit too far misassess the situation I end up sacked yeah. right and I've I hadn't I've not had a proper cry in years, but see walking into work and being told to go home, mm-hmm. I, w- I was honestly in the HR woman's office. I was crying for about two hours, yeah. right? And I was like a I was, can we swear on the show? Of course. I was like a fucking baby, yeah. right? Bubbling in this woman's office, right? Because I'd had a wee, you know, I don't even think it was an argument. I think a disagreement, but clearly I'd come across a bit stronger. And hadn't got the chance to fully explain why I, I was feeling and thinking this way, you know. And my frustration had come out, and they'd responded with, well, well, you don't work here anymore, yeah, you, you know. And based on everything I've already told you, you can see my confidence at work was a bit shaky. <laughs> yeah. It went through the floor, aye, right? Aye. It went through the floor because, one, I was back on the universal credit, right? Two, I'd felt like I was trying to take control of my life of a situation and have someone rip it, the carpet yeah. out from under you and then it kind of validated all those suspicions I had like all that negative self-talk like you're just struggling you can't do this you know you're not you're not trying hard enough you know it doesn't matter if you're tired you need to keep going to please these people or you won't have a job it was it was I don't want to sound too dramatic, but I really feel like it was life-altering, mm-hmm. right? It really just made me feel... The thought of having to go back to work and, and having to go to the meetings at the job centre and explain, well, we had a, a mutual part in, instead of it being like, no, I was I was sacked because of a disagreement and I think it was unfair. And I spoke to my... I spoke to, I'm, in, I'm in the trade union. I spoke to the trade union rep and they were like... It's going to be very hard. There's not really much we can do, and I just I felt like fuck. What am I? What's next? Kind of thing. You know, uncertainty. Despite you know, you you'd said actually in my introduction, you you kind of admire my confidence. I actually do cons- like not to not to toot my own horn or anything, right? But I do consider myself to be a confident person. So yep. to see my own self like I of course so kind of like a shriveled shell. Of, yeah who I can be, it was ho- just horrible, like, just, this is not, it was almost like, this is not my life, you know, this is not what I was destined for, yeah. kind of thing, you know, that was a lot longer than I expected it to be, but that's like a, almost like a timeline yeah. of previous work and how I got to this realisation that being neurodivergent has affected my mental health, will continue to affect my mental health, and that the best way for me to deal with it is to be demanding, right? To to say up front and be honest about what I need and what my expectations have to be. Or you're not going to get the best out of me. It's not going to go well. Make sure that where I work and the people I associate with are going to support that. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, I've, I've worked for some great companies, right? 
but they just didn't have the support system and the knowledge in place to support someone whose brain was a bit different. Yeah. And I, I, you know, someone had someone in these online forums and support groups had actually said, you know, if someone couldn't walk and was in a wheelchair, you would make sure you had a ramp to the office. But if someone has a neurodivergent brain, having time to plan and process and organise the work is the equivalent of that ramp, mm-hmm. right, for a person in a wheelchair. And yet, that is just not something that a lot of businesses seem to understand, you know? And when you put it like that, it seems so obvious and easy. But we've got a long way to go. Of you course. Know, the, Basically. Absolutely, absolutely, and I think as well, like a lot of companies are trying to move forward with yeah. mental health, especially because obviously it's more prevalent. I think, and it's been talked about more, and people are kind of having to admit in the workplace that they are struggling and stuff. Uh, disabilities as well, you know, if you tick that box, ticking that box, you're wondering will you be judged? Will you be selected yeah. for that job? Because even though companies will say and it will be clearly stated, you know, it's all about equality. Yeah. Diversity. Some diversity. <laughs> not not every company is yeah. and acts that way. They, they can put it on an application Absolutely. form. They can say that they are, you know, diverse, that they admire equality, they try and work. But if you're sitting ticking that box and admitting to something, that's a massive struggle. It can be a massive, massive yeah. internal struggle because you're wondering, am I going to be selected for this job? Yeah, absolutely. And so what I would say is, is that reflecting on what I think employers could maybe do better in that arena would be, there's been places I've worked who never even asked yes. if I had a disability or regardless of what was on the application form, there was no follow-up on it. So I'd maybe ticked the box or not ticked the box, but nobody had mm-hmm. physically asked me about it, right? So first step, I would say ask, like make the point of directly Asking. initiating that conversation. Mm-hmm. Do you have a disability and is there anything we can do to mm-hmm. support it, mm-hmm. right? The next thing I would do is make sure that there's actually a qualified person mm-hmm. or someone you get some assistance mm-hmm. to do it because it's fine for an HR assistant to give you a call up and be like, right, do you have a disability? Oh yes. And do you need any additional support? Yes or no. But then who's implementing that support? Aye, who's going to do because that? Because HR's unless you're working in HR, Aye. HR's not your line manager. No, no, no. You no, know no. what I mean? Where I work now, when I joined, I had well, I was asked, right, do I have a disability? I was asked, how does it affect me? And they actually had an occupational health specialist phone me before starting the job to discuss all my health and medical history, uh-huh. anything that needed to be put in place. And I know that it's all on my record, uh-huh. right? And that at any point, I can go to my manager and be like, well, actually, this is, this is no longer working this system. Yeah. I need help or I need, you know, something to be adapted for me. Now, thankfully, I haven't needed that, right? The the workplace I've gone to is already very supportive just mm-hmm. from the get-go. Workplaces can change, uh-huh. and at least I know that that policy mm-hmm. is in place and that is on a record that I can go back and refer managers to just in, just in case. And I know I shouldn't be that cynical, but see, when you have had those negative experiences, I. I want the bit of paper uh-huh. now that gives me my rights, uh-huh. you know? And you shouldn't have to fight that hard to get some accommodations in the workplace. I think that a lot of it could be solved by just being a bit more understanding, yeah. a bit more flexible. And how hard is that? You I don't mean, need to be a disability be, nurse, no. you know what I mean? Like, you, you just need to be an understanding employer. Yep, of course. You, you know? need to have, like, the understanding, the empathy, but also, like, just being able to even go away and look it up research it themselves yeah. but one question I wanted to ask you was that phone call that you got yeah. did that 
feel like finally yeah. there, is a co- there is an organisation or a company that is actually taking this seriously yeah to, to be honest um, it, it absolutely did you know I wasn't even necessarily aware at the time when I was applying for the job and even when I got the job offer oh by the way you know a medical professional is going to call yeah. you occupational health therapist or whatever whoever the person yeah. was right they're going to phone you do a wee medical interview and they were like we'll pass all this on to HR so I know somewhere in my personnel file that's recorded right and I know that they've actually called and someone who knows what they're talking yeah, about has, called has discussed yeah. what changes they need and the, the great thing is is that not only did they just ask me because it's, it can be hard particularly way back even if I had been asked I don't think I would have known what to say right. I hadn't really reflected or known enough no. to be able to say well actually I need this I need that I need that to right? provide the information yeah yeah and what they had actually done was they were like and do you need this mm-hmm. and do you need that and they'd made specific suggestions mm-hmm. and then I could then think and be like well I hadn't thought about that but now that you mentioned it yeah. that maybe would be a good thing uh, for uh, me you uh, know what I mean yeah. and that to me is an improvement or an improvement uh, or an improvement because it is difficult to think of every possible scenario you've not even started the job you no. don't know what adaptations yeah. you might need because yeah. you've, you're not you've not even day one yeah. at that point you, it has to be checked in with and having the manager and the organisation in place that actually will support that because otherwise well one you might be breaking the law you might be discriminating against employees and not realising but two your employees are going to be stressed they're mm-hmm. going to be burnt out they're not going to be working the best they can and that's all looking at it just from the business perspective how are they feeling Aye, how was how I feeling isolated paralysed super anxious mm-hmm. I think the worst thing was just and I, I do still do this and, I, and I've come to realise it's maybe just a trait of my neurodivergent brain is that I catastrophize. Mm-hmm. Something's not just bad, it's the end of the world, <laughs> you know. Yeah. And I'm not the only one that experiences that, but for me, I just, it, when, I, when I looked it up, right, and I want to give a wee shout out, if, am I allowed to do that? Yeah, of course. Yeah. Right, there's a YouTube channel called How to ADHD, okay. right? The creator, um, she has ADHD, right, and it's centered around people with ADHD. But I would say that the advice that she's got in the videos are great for anyone who has a neurodivergent condition not all of it will apply but you can find the bits that apply to you or your friends and family there's a one of the videos she did that changed my view on my emotions right and she said people that have um, neurodivergent conditions they, they have something called emotional dysregulation right what that means I don't know what that meant either I had to go and look it up right but it basically means that it's not that you, when something happens, you know, you have an emotional reaction to it, positive or negative, right? But emotional dysregulation is not that you didn't have the appropriate reaction, but the intensity of the reaction is, is higher. Lops, but it could be higher or, or lower, lower right? right? Okay. So you could, you might not react or you could overreact. Exactly, yeah. right? So a classic example of this is you get a wee bit panicky, you get a wee bit anxiety, and suddenly that anxiety is paralyzing, mm-hmm. right? And you're just a failure and that your life's going terribly and what's the point of it all right it actually isn't that bad right and upon reflection and upon calming yourself down you definitely can get to the point and you know I've had to find what techniques work for me to calm myself down right Oftentimes it's having a rant, okay. having a cup of tea, like yeah. verbalising it if I can okay. say a name or write down what is it that's bothering me and see it in concrete then I'm like, okay, 
I can deal with that. You can process that a bit better. Yeah, a bit yeah. better. Whereas when it's still in my brain, I'm like, I need to get it out. Ah, yeah, get yeah. it out of my head and get it onto paper to, or way, to a person, yeah. you know. And then I'm like, I can, it's almost like I can then visualise the problem, mm. you know. So I know for me that's a technique I've had to learn. But there's no guidebook. That, no. Like I said, you don't get your disability card and then the guidebook yeah, that goes with it. You've got to go and do the work. Yeah. And it's hard. Yeah. It's really hard. And to go through that blind, basically, that process. The other side of it is you might not think that something is serious or you might be like, yeah, okay, that's a bit upsetting. But actually, you maybe should be a wee bit more worried or concerned about it. So a classic example for me is you know, I've been to family funerals, not been as upset as maybe other people have been, and that's caused friction okay. because it's a, a moment of heightened emotion, mm-hmm. and yet that emotional dysregulation is at play. And it's like, I, I know that I'm sad, mm-hmm. this is a sad moment, but I'm not connecting with it on the intensity uh, that these everybody people else has. And it, it can be quite an isolating experience, I you know, because imagine. I have thought, like, you know, am I a psychopath? No, I know. Why am I not feeling yeah. what other people are feeling? Once I found that out from that YouTube channel and then did more reading on it, I was like, that is it. And that is also when I thought I had these mood swings and I was like, maybe I've got bipolar. It was emotional dysregulation. Yeah. Yeah. I was having, I wasn't necessarily, mood swings maybe wasn't the right word, but I was like, these fluctuations in intensity were, they were insane, you know, like, and I was like, what the hell is going on? Once I had the word and I could go and research it and then I could explain it to some people, I had power over no. it because I could, it wasn't just me freaking out or being bis- misbehaved or igno- being ignorant to someone's needs. It was me being able to say, look, I can't draw you a diagram. You can't necessarily pick it up on a scan. I, well, maybe you can't, I'm not a neuroscientist, right? But. I have found a way now to describe yeah. it. And once I can describe it and explain it, and if anybody else is feeling like that, they've maybe got a word mm-hmm. that they didn't have before, right? And they can take it to an employer or a parent or a partner, and it maybe is the start of a conversation that it helps explain their behaviour. And now I want, I want to really stress that it's really important to stay accountable, uh-huh. right? I, I mentioned that like, sometimes I'm too direct and it's rude, and I don't mean to hurt people's feelings, but I have done, uh-huh. and I need to just be like, Okay, your brain is different. You've caused someone to get upset. You just ha- you have to take. You've got to deal with that. You know, like it wasn't deliberate, but I'm still responsible yeah. ultimately. So can I ask? So say, for instance, you were to be direct to somebody who mm. maybe didn't appreciate it as much. Sure. But they were then maybe able to come to you at some point and just say, "Listen, Andrew, the other day this happened, and I don't know if you know, but what you said, you know, affected me. It made me sad or whatever." Would you then be able to be like, do you know what, I need to be accountable, I'm sorry for what happened, mm-hmm. you know what I mean, like, maybe you don't understand or you maybe didn't realise that you had upset them, but can you do that, is that, is that a I way? I try my best, right, and um, um, I would definitely, I, I don't like to bring up my being neurodivergent, because no, I feel like it's something, I don't want to be an excuse No, and I don't behavior. think, no, and I don't think it would be. There's, there's a line. There's a line. Yeah. And I think you can say, oftentimes what I'll say is, why has that upset you, right? Or what do you mean? Like, when you say it's like pointed or direct, what, what about it Aye. did you find pointed or direct? Because to me, that's quite a vague expression. Aye. I need you to be specific. Yeah, like, so specific in the words that you used yeah, or whatever. Or... Exactly. Was was my tone off? Was, was the word I used? Was I just short with yeah, you yeah, or yeah. dismissive? Or, yeah, don't get me wrong. Sometimes I am like that. People uh-huh. differently. We all are, though. <laughs> Somebody's think... pissed me off. I'm not going to be your partner. No, right? but I think we all but... are. 
you know, you know it's it's more when you it's happening you don't mean it yeah and I think like, that's oh, the thing crap yeah. you obviously value your friendships yeah of course you want to keep them healthy and yeah. maintained you you do sometimes <laughs> you, you, you're touching on issues that some people don't want to talk oh. about or you know famously when I was younger like, I was told that like, you don't talk politics or religion yeah. at the dinner table right but I was like let's just talk about anything you know and some people don't like that yeah. right um, what I do think though it has given me is some of that confidence mm-hmm. I, I'll go up and say something to someone something that I think not necessarily to be nasty to them mm-hmm. like, but sometimes it's a compliment mm-hmm. I'll just go and tell them a compliment because mm-hmm. I feel like I can be more direct with people and yet there are people who you know on the other kind of end of this issue have crippling social anxiety who can't express anything yeah. right now I'm not saying they're even linked but just for contrast you know Ideally, we'd both reflect and maybe move towards each other a bit more. I'd get a bit more reflective about what I was saying to somebody. Aye. Maybe wouldn't have got sacked. (laughs) (laughs) But, um, you know, on the other side, somebody who's not able to express themselves, that's also debilitating. You know what I mean? So I'm grateful that I can express myself. I just have to sometimes put the brakes on a wee bit, you know? And it's trial and error and as well do you think that more people that are aware of it then can kind of understand it in a way everybody's reacted differently uh-huh. when, I, when I've it's not something that I've ever really felt I could talk about before I've had private conversations with people but obviously this is oh, the first public kind yeah. of thing and I know there will be people that I know will listen to this and maybe they'll be like that explains a lot it makes right? sense yeah, yeah I think so and you know a lot of people have said to me, you're so quirky, you're so weird. I'm like, yeah, my brain's not the same as yours. Right. And obviously, mine is very different yeah. to yours, you know. And I have, there are, there's, you know, there's other people in the team who are dyspraxic or autistic, and I have spoken to them about it, and they get it. Uh-huh. They totally get it. You know, we've had private, I'm not going to name names. No, 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 that's, of course that's not. For them to, to say yeah. if they want, right? Having someone who you say, like, this has happened to me, it felt weird or whatever, and then be like, Yes. Yes. I understand this is a problem that I have had or still have and this is how I'm trying to deal with it. And it's it's quite liberating mm-hmm. to be honest, because your when your brain doesn't always relate to those around you, it's a strange feeling. But the know? thing is as well, you know, somebody could be listening to this and be where you were at back then. Yeah. You know, kinda spark something in them and they're like, I completely relate to Andrew and I'm so glad he was able to explain it the way that he did and then like you said go on Google and then maybe like go to the doctors but go to the doctors but I'll be a bit more confidence yeah. and be like I have researched this you can only take so much onto personal responsibility and then the ball's in someone else's court so we're pretty much coming to the end of the podcast um, Andrew so what bit of advice would you give to somebody or a listener who is thinking to themselves well and relates to what you've just said so and one final thing is that imposter syndrome can manifest itself in your life in so many ways yeah. so please just go and, and learn about it and identify it in your life if, if mm-hmm. it's there and do something about it and advocate yeah. for yourself Aye, perfect I think that's a good way to round it off because imposter syndrome can be debilitating absolutely it can um, cause so much stress anxiety and it can affect your mental health because if you're thinking to yourself that you are incapable or you you feel like a fraud having that emotion can be tiring yeah. can be draining you know so the more people that talk about it it gets highlighted 
people will feel less alone, feel less isolated. So I think that's a really important point to make in this podcast because I'm sure people will listen and think I've got imposter syndrome or I know somebody with imposter syndrome. I bet, I bet you know. So yeah, I think that's a perfect way to round it off. One thing I will say is if anything that we've spoken about today has affected you, please message myself or if you want to speak to Andrew I'll tag him in. yeah that's fine are you happy for maybe somebody to message yeah <laughs> just bear in mind it may take me you know four to seven business days to get right. back to you <laughs> message me and I'll uh, filter them out so thank you so much for coming on Andrew thank you uh, for having me very much appreciate it um, it's been an absolute pleasure and I've definitely learned a lot from it so thank you and I'm sure everybody who's listening will definitely learn from it so I, I just feel really grateful to have the opportunity to just thank you I don't know like, I feel like it's been bursting inside me for a while yeah. so it's finally out you yeah. know? yes thank you very much and I always end it with you know be kind not just to yourself but be kind to others be kind to family just be kind in general it costs nothing also check up on people and yeah I shall speak to you all soon thanks for listening speak to you later so everyone that was this week's episode of Your Right Pal by me Roscoe Burns I hope you enjoyed today's episode the intro and outro music is brought to you by Laundry on the Wire by Holinzinka CC0 I've been your host Roscoe Burns and as always, look out for one another, look after yourself and remember, you're never alone. Just want to say thank you so much for listening and remember and never forget, there's always support, alright? Bye.